All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, I think we may be live. So hop on if you are on the um, ministry channel and we will get in and take off a little bit where I was yesterday. We were just talking about how we can't look to point the finger when ultimately it's the refiner's fire within inside of us that Yahweh is trying to redeem and change. And when we start to accept that, that's when amazing things can happen. But we're not divorced from our generations. We're not divorced from consequences. And when we address those consequences and we deal with them with our spouses, with those that we love, and then we can then manifest that with others that we come in contact with. But isn't the most challenging part with those that you love the most? Isn't, there, isn't that where the rub is? Isn't that where the friction is? Because those that are closest to you tend to be those that either reflect what you are inside. And when we start to address that, then we can really make headway, I think, in our life. In Psalm 23, we've heard it, we've read it so many times, but just another look from a different vantage point. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What has shadowed before me? Each and every one of us is different. When I was back in England just recently, I was dwelling much on what shadowed before me, and I would use another word, and it might offend some of you, what was haunting me. Especially as I was walking around England with my two young daughters that have been brought up in the faith, and I was reflecting upon my life when I was their age, and just where I was. And that was shadowing me. That was haunting me. And I felt specifically when I went into certain geographic locations where I was reminded of certain actions that I had taken in those locations, it grieved me. And I thought that was a great opportunity for me to repent and to pray. So I would walk around the town in which I grew up praying in certain areas where I had done certain things. Because what I realized on this past trip, seeing my mother being so much more aged and frail, is that generational sin had shadowed before me. And we may walk in what our forefathers walked in, just by default, unless we make a conscious decision to change that. If we don't make a conscious decision to change that, we will walk in what our forefathers walked in because it is familiar. What's called family lines, generational or a familiar spirit. And there's a kinship there. In Vaikra, Leviticus 26, and the 40th verse, it is written, If they shall confess their iniquity 
and the iniquity of their fathers with their guilt, which they trespassed against me. Then, when, then, and only then, will I remember my covenant with Abraham, my covenant with Jacob, I'm sorry, my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. If, did you catch just what happened? If, then, when? For though I walk in the valley of the shadow, it's a shadow. If, then, when, I confess the shadow of my forefather's sin, or the shadow of what I had done in the previous 24 years, then I can transfer my lineage from my earthly family to another family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's always been about transference, and there we have transference again when it comes to the healing codes of the Bible. Then will I remember my covenant with Yaakov and also my covenant with Yitzhak and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember and I will remember the land. We spoke about yesterday that often our actions, our bodily actions pollute the land, do they not? And then the land will spit out its inhabitants when it is thus polluted. And you see in these gangster rap songs, you know, and they'd be like, go spill a drop for your homies, right? And they go spill some liquor on their grave. Or even in country songs, you know, they say that, you know, I, I went and left a six pack on his grave. But what is, what's up with that? You're just adding more pollution and defiling the land. I mean, we just got back from Joseph, Oregon. Okay, and we went to the gravesite of Chief Joseph. It was full of all kinds of witchcraft and alcohol and joints and drug paraphernalia and all kinds of idols from all kinds of religions. And once in a while, you'd get a little Native American dream catcher in there. But it had become just a, and the land is polluted. That's, that's not what the, the faith of the, the First Nations or the Native American peoples was. But then by the time it gets into the hands of the pagans, they totally corrupt it and it's polluted. If we repent for our forefathers, that's right. And you don't get to re-enter covenant if you don't confess and repent for that generational sin and it's time to get delivered from it. In the book of Hebrews, in the seventh chapter, of course, we know that this is Malchizedek, right? Book of Hebrews. It says that Malchizedek was what? What was Malchizedek? He was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the son of Eloah, abideth a priest continually. Well, there's many people that like to cause a controversy over that. But what is it really talking about? Well, for me, what I see, if you look in the book of Yasher, it'll tell you that Shem was the Malkit Zedek, and some would take issue with that. 
I like the book of Yasher. It's not scripture, but I think it's an absolute phenomenal commentary on the first two books of the Torah. If you want to have a nice read-along to the Torah, and you're in the book of Bereshit and the book of Shemot, I don't know of a better commentary to read along with than the book of Jasher or Yasher. Shem, being the Malkitzedek, the son of Noah, was what? Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the son of Elohim. What could that mean? It's got many applications. You can take it literally down to, well, did he have a mother and did he have a... Or is it, in our application today, could it possibly mean, just like Noah, that he was delivered from his generations? That he was delivered from generational sin and thus was able to represent the priesthood because he finally broke free from all that Abraham had been trying to escape with terror. And remember, Abraham had to smash his father's idols and cross over, and he crossed over and he became a Ivrim, meaning one who crosses over a Hebrew, crossing over from one soil that is polluted and defiled to a better soil that can contain a seed which will produce a better crop for the next generation. I see all these children running around. And I just said to Dane, just before we came in, and his son Shem, just so happens, is riding his bicycle around here. Last year, he wasn't. And I said to Dane, I said, you realize that at that Sukkot we were at all those years ago, that Sukkot was when my son, Moshe, learned how to ride his bicycle. And now look, look at Shem. He hasn't, he's not learning to ride his bicycle at this Sukkot. He has mastered it and he is tearing. But look how quickly it goes. Look how fast time goes. But also look at the blessings on our generations. As he's raising his child up from birth in the Feast of Yahweh, that he's named after Shem, just as my son has been raised up from birth in the Feasts and Sabbaths of Yahweh and is named after Moshe Rabbeinu. And you see the generational blessings coming down through the line. And it is a miracle. A miracle. That's what we want. That's what we want for each and every successive generation. So I think it's possible that Shem was delivered from his generations, his genealogy. And that enabled him to be a Kohen because he was without genealogy. There was no generational connection to the iniquity of the past. Therefore, the land was no longer defiled, and therefore it could bring in the covenant blessings. Just think about that.
that's just the way I've read it and see it. You may disagree, that's okay. I know there's many in the Messianic movement that would have a Levitical hierarchy approach of this and strongly disagree. That's okay. I disagree with that. But, you know, you can accept it or reject it. Because we know from what we've learned over these past years in the Torah to the tribes with the Malkitzetic priesthood, that we do have the authority, and now I'm not saying we're Catholic priests and you have to come into a closet with us, but we do have the authority to forgive generational sin that is passed down to others. You can forgive people for their sins, not unto death. There's some sins that they have to go directly to the Father for. But some people need to hear that they are forgiven. And if somebody comes to you and says, will you forgive me? If you withhold communicating that forgiveness, then that burden becomes your burden because they're asking your permission. And we shouldn't withhold that. 70 times seven, we should forgive. Does that make sense? In fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and the 16th verse, it is written, If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not a sin unto death. I'm not talking about kidnapping. If you kidnap somebody, don't come to me and ask for me to forgive you. That is a sin unto death. Adultery. Don't come to me and ask me to forgive you. That is a sin unto death. That's something we better have some serious prayer and fasting before the Heavenly Father. But there are other sins that are common to man where you can go to your brother and sister to have the assurance and to hear audibly, you are forgiven. Because we all need to hear that sometimes. Because we're trying to make this faith of ours not just some mystical spiritual faith, but we need to hear it from one another. Now the Catholics got what they did with going to the priest for the confession from somewhere, and they got it from here. And did it get twisted and perverted? Yes. But we don't get to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We get to revisit the scripture and apply it properly. Because there's nothing like hearing, you are forgiven. I forgive you. I forgive you. That's something we practice in our family. And if I withhold that when my, my wife or my son or my daughter asks me, then that's on me. And then it's going to manifest a root of bitterness in the family and resentment. You don't want that because it will grow and fester and pollute the land that you are trying to establish for the next generation. And too many families have got resentments and bitterness and unharbored things that are not spoken about that need to be, I forgive you. I really do. I forgive you. Wow, that will go a long way. That will impact change. 
Just like, you know, growing up in a family where a mother or father never, you never heard them say, I love you. Well, withholding that, 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 that's not a very nice thing to withhold, is it? Well, you should have known. Well, how was I? I'm not a mind reader. Tell me. I want to hear it. I want to audibly hear it. Any man sees his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he shall make prayer for it. Now, if you were to turn to Shemot, Exodus chapter 1, you'll see a whole list of sins that you and I are not going to be saying, I forgive you for. Because we have no place to do that, because we are not the creator Elohim. We are not going to forgive somebody for kidnapping. We are not going to forgive somebody for, for murder. We are not going to forgive somebody for striking his mother or his father or for cursing his parents. We are not going to forgive somebody for adultery. That only Yahuwah can do. Because those are sins unto death. But if somebody is a little bit light-fingered and they take your pearls out of your jewelry box, that's not a sin unto death. You can forgive somebody for being a thief. Some two boys are out in the field and they decide to get into a little scrap and start fighting. Or these little children, somebody nicks Shem's bike, you know? You can forgive somebody for fighting. We've got Fire Marshal Bill over there in the corner. Yes, there are arsonists among us, or reformed arsonists. You can give, forgive somebody for arson. You can forgive somebody for arson. You can even forgive somebody for premarital sex with a virgin. Then what's the correct application? What are they supposed to do? Marry her and make it right because you started something. Now you need to finish it by making a covenant and fulfilling the vow that you made through a action. See, now we're looking at the maturity of the word because there are ramifications for everything we do. We don't just have a prayer to the Lord and keep on trekking. Not if we're really going to study the Bible because this affects seed. This affects the very DNA within our bodies. And DNA is under attack in this last generation. If you haven't seen in these past two years, then you really have not been a watchman on the wall. I mean, I, we've seen so many videos on it. Yaakov, Jacob's ladder. Well, that's a DNA helix, Genesis 28, verse 12. Yaakov, Jacob dreamed and see a DNA helix, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to the heaven and see the heavenly Malachim, angels of Elohim were ascending and descending on it. And see, Yahuwah stood above it and he said what? I am Yahuwah, Elohim of Abraham, of your father, the Elohim of Yitzhak. The land where you lie, to you will I give it, and to your seed, 
and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Do you see the generational connection? Do you see the land? Do you see seed? All of the recipe for cleansing your generations is right there. If you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. The text speaks of sperma if you were in the Septuagint. That's pretty obvious what we're talking about here. It's not some mystical thing. It's sperma or zerah in the Hebrew. It is literally what it says in the Greek and the Hebrew. And the ladder is a picture of the DNA helix. It really, really is. Because that is what makes up the family of Jacob. It's a word ladder. And if you look at the word ladder, even in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for ladder is halom. Halom. And it's spelled samak lamed. And then it's got the closed mem, the mem sofit on the end. A samak lamed mem sofit. And it is absolutely unique in its usage right here in the biblical text of Genesis chapter 28 because it's unique to Jacob because he's the father of all Israelites. This is the inception point. It means to group together like kindred roots. To group, isn't that, isn't that the greeting that I say every Shabbat? Isn't it really a greeting of kindering together, all like kindred roots? And it's the only time it appears in Scripture is right here. And it means the sum total of all the tribes. It's the regathering right here being prophesied. And it happens through healing of the nations. What do we see in Revelation? The leaves of the trees are for the... Whilst the nations become more toxic, more polluted unto death, because they are seeking pharmacia for healing, which will never bring about healing, but only about death and chaos, there is another family, the family of Jacob, that is seeking to do the deep work and is connecting to the earth, whether it's through natural remedies or natural healing through spoken word, written word, and the healing of the leaves of the nations. It's a priesthood. Does that make sense? If you think about it, Israel was encoded within Rachel's womb, was it not? Made up within the DNA of her womb. We were encoded within Rivka's womb. Think about that. Encoded. In Genesis, in Revelation, in seven, chapter 17, not Genesis, Revelation 17, it says, they that dwell in the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the earth. And I had a conversation a little bit about this last night around the fire. We were just kind of thinking about that. Okay. Well, then doesn't the book of life 
contain that precious information of the soul. And the soul is the record of all of your thoughts, emotions, feelings, resentments, forgivenesses. It's who you are. Because the spirit is from Yahuwah, and the body is from the dust. And when they are brought together, it brings forth a Chaim Nefesh, a living soul, right? So then at the end of life, the spirit goes back unto Yahuwah, the body goes back to the dust, and the soul is the recording of that life. And whether that soul accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahusha determines whether that soul will be turned to ashes, Malachi 4, and be trampled under the feet of the righteous, where then Yahweh will take his thumb into the ashes and then blot out the soul from the book of life, where then hell will be thrown into the lake of fire and cease to exist. So you don't want to be turned to ashes and trampled under the feet of the righteous. Meaning, first and foremost, you've got to get healing through the remedy, and there's only one, which is the blood of the Lamb. And then from that, that embarks you on a whole pilgrimage of healing throughout every aspect of your life. Does that make sense? That's the way I'm understanding it in my very simple, simpleton mind. Because that precious information about us is recorded before we're even born in the book of life. Because Yahweh knows. We would call that our DNA. It's recorded from before we're even born. DNA in your mother's womb, encoded before the foundation of the world. Because DNA is the code of our identification. Think about it, even in like... Ezekiel chapter 37, and he goes, speak to these bones, and these bones come rattling together, and then they form one new man. What is that? The DNA code is awakened, and it comes rattling together. The bones rattle together, meaning they were looking for a DNA match, and when they found that DNA match, they were rattled together and they connected together bone to bone, sinew to sinew, flesh to flesh, and there is a reorgan. That's what's going to happen in the resurrection. In the resurrection. I think. But I could be wrong. Because we are looking through a glass dimly, a mirror that is extremely full of condensation. So we're getting glimpses of the scripture. The potter encodes some for glory and some are encoded for destruction. Pharaoh was encoded for destruction. Right? Then you get into the whole Calvinism, Armenianism, we won't get into that. But there's a whole branch of Christian theology on that. Okay? Were you elect? Are you not elect? The elect? What does that mean? Calvinism, Armenianism. But our names are encoded in the book of life since the foundation of the earth. 
Scripture doesn't record that there's this progressive or later entries into the book of life after you say a prayer to Jesus. Oh, now we're going to put you in the... No. It was always already in there. There was just an acceptance of what already is. Think about that. That's pretty heavy. All peoples are not going to be written in the book of life because it's an identifying mark, an authority, a rank, a character, being identified with a generational blessing or a generational curse. I love this scripture. It says in Psalm 139 and in the 13th verse, it is written... And look, look at your translation. It depends. The Hebrew word here is kiliayim, kiliayim. It's often translated as kidneys. Kidneys. But it really, it's rains. It's rains. He possessed me in the rains. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you have possessed my rains. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Kilia, Kilia. Translated eight out of the 31 times that it appears in the Tanakh as kidneys, meaning it's in relation to those that serve as ministers of Yahweh as what? Kohanim, priests. What was it the priests were always seeking and searching out? The reins, the kidneys of the sacrifice, which is a shadow picture of our sacrifice. Are we to be living sacrifice unto Yahuwah? And if the main thing that the Levitical priests were searching out were the reins and kidneys, then wouldn't that make sense that we would also have to search out our reins and kidneys? That's a very part, important part of sacrificial service unto Yahweh is keeping an inventory of your reins and kidneys. So what do the kidneys and the reins do? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. Job chapter 16 verse 13. His archers encircle me all around. Have you ever felt like that? Man, I have felt like that. The enemy is all around just shooting arrows and darts at me, fiery darts, trying to get a land right on my reins and my kidneys. His archers encircle me all around. He cleaves my kilia, reins, kidneys in two, and does not spare. He pours out my bile on the ground. It's very descriptive, isn't it? Have you ever sinned and then been so convicted that you felt like throwing up bile? So ashamed of yourself. I know I have. And then I've walked around areas recently in England of where I used to get off work when I lived in London and go out and just tear it up. 
I wasn't a believer. And I'm there 30 years later. And with my daughters, the sun sets. And then when the dark comes, all the things that people don't do in the daylight, they start to do at night. And I literally am feeling like archers are shooting at my reins and my kidneys. And I felt so much shame. And I needed to pray to be healed on that. I'm like, have I been carrying that around for that long? I'm looking at my beautiful daughters. And then I'm thinking about my prior actions. I won't get too descriptive, but you can imagine. It had something to do with the fairer sex, if you will. And here I am with two beautiful virgin daughters, maidens who love Yahweh. Man, what's wrong with me? But I've been delivered from that. But am, am I stalked? Am I haunted? Somewhat. So I need to make peace with that, don't I? Because I don't want that to be reflected in my behavior anymore. But oh, did I feel that the archers right there were encircling all around me and trying to reattach to those areas of sin and iniquity of my youth? Oh, you better believe I did. And he pours out his bile on the ground. Lamentations is very descriptive in the third chapter and the 13th verse. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my kiliar. Why always that directed place of this reins? It's kind of around the sexual organs area, isn't it? In the lower realms, the most base level of our humanity the basis level of our humanity. Death and destruction are spoken of as arrows in the Bible, as slashing our kidneys. That's self-mutilation, isn't it? So it's affecting the kidneys. The other 13 times that kiliar, the Hebrew word kiliar is used in the scripture, it's associated with behavior that we allow in conjunction with our heart. Because it really is a heart issue, isn't it? Are you really converted of heart? Have you really changed? Because there's a blood connection to the reins. The function of the kidneys is to do what? Purify the blood. Purify the blood, which the heart thus pumps. So. Is it possible, these are just connections I'm making, is it possible that my destructive behavior slashes my kidneys? Could I actually be scarring my DNA? Oh, that's absurd. No, not according to a British study in the medical journal. They discovered that there was scarring on specific DNA strands with men that had had multiple, multiple partners or a high body count, if you will. That there was specific scarring in those regions around the kidneys, which affects the blood, which defiles the land. Yahweh was not making this stuff up. 
Psalm 79, verse 8, it is written in verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wickedness, but of her, of her. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. I got tongue-tied there. But establish the just, for the righteous Elohim tries the heart and the kidneys. All right. All right. Now we're getting somewhere. And in Psalm 16, verse 7, it is written, I will bless Yahweh who has given me counsel. My kidneys also instruct me in the night seasons. Whose kidneys have instructed them in the night seasons? Okay, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, good. That means you're not as much as a rotter as me and the other fellas that just raised our hands in the back. Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. And I will kill her children with death, and all the Israelite congregations shall know that I am he who searches the kidneys, the reins, and the heart. Oh, it's all in my heart. Well, I could just as easily say, well, it's I love the Lord. It's all in my kidneys. My steak and kidneys. Maybe that's where steak and kidney pie came from. No, no, I'm just being silly. No, but one person laughed. If, if we were in England, you'd all laugh right now. See, because who, who here has actually had a steak and kidney pie? See, you don't, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. Are we even allowed to have those now, I wonder? I think you can get kosher steak and kidney pie. I'm sure you can. We can search it out. Let's see if there's some rabbinical black kosher steak and kidney pie. All right. Anyway, there I go on the side, sideways. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21. I'll pick Putting it up in the chat here. Is that anybody who's had some steak and kidney pie? Kathleen Streeter. Oh, Shabbat Shalom. She says, uh, Shalom, Mishpachad. Definitely feeling the arrows coming for my kidneys. Enduring the hardest season thus far during this time. May Yahuwah have mercy on us all. Yes, and may Yahuwah have mercy on you and your family. We miss you here down at Sukkot this year, but we're here word that you're having a nice little private Sukkot up with your family. So I pray it's a, a blessing to you streakers up there in Washington State. In Proverbs, in the seventh chapter, in the 21st verse, it says, with her many words, she caused him to yield. And no, this is not talking about the virtuous Proverbs 31 wife. This is talking about the antithesis of that. The Nookery Woman, the Nookery Woman. Have you ever heard that before? It's most probably where we got the English word nookie. No, see, I'm seeing none of you are getting my silly joke. Little bit of nookie. It's most probably comes from the Nookery Woman. All right. I'm going to leave the, the, the jokes to Mr. Leach in the back there because my humor of obviously nobody finds amusing. All right, 
Proverbs 7, 21. It is really a nookery woman, though. With her many words, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she seduces him. He goes after her immediately as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the prison. That's some serious stuff, isn't it? An admonition. Until a dart strikes through his kiliar. There's that word again. Through his liver. As a bird rushing to the trap that did not know it would take his life. Well, what are we talking about? Yahweh's word is telling us, <coughs> excuse me, that the foolish man who lusts after women, who is seduced by feminine lips, is going to come to the same end, die by being struck in the liver. Well, what's up with that? because it's all connected to generational sin and the land and the blood being poured out on the ground like water or the body eventually going back to the dust from which it came and polluting the land. We've only got one period of time to get this right and then the end. And you don't want to be dust under the feet of the righteous which then Yahweh will take his thumb and blot out that name. It truly is transference into a different family line. And that's why this is not a religion. It's a priesthood. Because there has to be transference for it really to take root and bring forth the healing. We know that the liver eliminates waste and toxins. So if you're inviting waste and toxin into your life, it would make sense that it would accumulate in the region around that area, the base parts of your personality, the base parts of your body. Liver eliminates toxins. Blood toxins, and we know that DNA is found within the blood. And the scripture tells us that the eye is the window to the soul. So really, like Job, we need to make a covenant with our eyes. Especially in this electronic world of no accountability. Right? We certainly do. And yes, there is a British study on genetic scarring where they did take a group of individuals and they reviewed their lives to discover that their poor lifestyle choices had caused DNA strands to be scarred in the exact spots of their DNA strands corresponding to the poor lifestyle choices. That's, that's fascinating, isn't it? In Leviticus, by Ikra, in the 17th chapter, in the 10th verse, it is written, 
And whatever man there is of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourns among him, who eats any manner of blood, I will set my face against that being who eats blood and will cut him off from among the people. For the nephesh, the soul, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the soul is in the blood. Which brings us to Exodus chapter 32 and the breach of the family line and then generational curses coming into Israel until the time of Reformation when there would be a transference back to the Malkizedic generational line and the breach of sin and destruction would be healed. It's multifaceted because of that. Because they rose up to play. They rose up to play, didn't they, at the golden calf? That phrase, rose up to play, is used when Joseph was in the house of Potiphar and falsely accused of doing an illicit thing, rising up to play. And when the children of Israel were with Baal Peor, they rose up to play. That's what this whole culture is about, rising up to play each and every day, is it not? We know that there are differing bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 38, it explicitly lays out that there are differing bodies. There are differing bodies. So our eternal life is written into our blood before the foundation of the earth. That's some heavy stuff I'm laying down. I don't think I even grasp it to its full extent. I'm just kind of practicing on you. So you guys can re-practice on me tonight around the campfire. Think about it. Hmm. It's written into our blood before the foundation of the earth. So, I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate the connection, because it's in my brain and my heart, but will I be able to get it out of my mouth? Think about this. All right, think about this in line with everything I'm saying. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Is it possible then? I'm just trying to figure it out from my childhood and where I've come from and where I am now and looking at you all and looking at my children and this trip back to England, which really, it was just so much I went through. Is it possible that when I accepted Yahusha, that he fertilized the sea and then it split into two completely different cells with similar similar but different DNA instructions that would now only apply to each particular new seed. So there was a generational split from my father to the potential seed that would be my children. Hang on, listen, let me re-communicate re, re that, see if that makes any sense. I'm just trying to work this out. I've got some rough 
thoughts here, so I don't know if I, I put it down properly. When I accepted Yahushua, he fertilized the seed. It then splits into two completely different cells with similar but different DNA instructions that will now only apply to each particular new seed. So we begin to take on his DNA, his flesh and blood, drink my flesh, drink my blood and eat my flesh, and the journey from corruption to incorruption begins at that point. Yahweh calls these containers of genetic instructions zerah, seeds. And that's what happened inside of me. And if you look at old pictures of yourself before you were born again, I think your eyes will look and tell a different story than what your eyes that are the window to the soul tell now. I know mine do, because my wife is always telling me so. So these same set of directives that were ordained by Yahweh is written into the seeds of the descendants now awaiting fertilization. And this is all written into the blood. I mean, you see it in creation. Think about it in creation. Whether it be plants or humans, they all testify to this fact. Babies testify to this fact. The set of instructions are written into the seed to bring forth after its own kind. The instructions are the Torah. They're written in your blood. They're written in the DNA and then they're pumped by your heart whilst your kidneys and your liver are supposed to eliminate the corrupted generational DNA of the toxic generations beforehand. And that's why in Jeremiah 31, 31, you see that the seeds enclose the encoded genetic directions of the living Elohim. And I will make a new covenant, a new covenant with the family line of Judah and Israel. Israel and Judah, the coming together of one. I mean, you even see it in the natural medical world. You just can't go, oh, I, I need a kidney transplant. Oh, yeah, that, that any old John over there will do. No, there has to be a DNA match for it to be accepted, correct? There has to be a DNA match. You have to have matching candidates to enable organ transplant, meaning that DNA language must match the recipient's DNA language so that they can speak one to another. That's what happens when we get born again. Yahushua's changes out. There's a match. And now there can be a communication. And that is the word, is the delivery system of that seed. That's the way I see it. Could be wrong, but that's the way it makes sense to me. Because it's all words, it's DNA language. The recipient's immune system will come into play and reject the transplanted organ if there isn't a match, because there would be a genetic language barrier. 
And that's what we have got to build up and tear down. We have to build up a genetic language barrier with Mystery Babylon. So all of this stuff that they're putting into the earth, putting into the atmosphere, it will not match. It will not be able to get through because there is no barrier. There is no match because we have built up a barrier because our DNA is matched to a family and the two cannot, there's no adhesion contract, if you will. What they've put into people over the past two years now means that there is going to be a match for the other stuff that they're putting out with all those little McGillions or whatever they're called. Help me what the word is. Nanoparticles. It's all match. It's all match. It's all match. Because now they've got the seed container and carrier in them that is now a recipient for the black goo and for everything else that is being put forth. Whereas Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the biblical family's DNA, has been matched to the Redeemer, Yahushua himself, and it is purging out through the kidneys, through repentance and confession, the old generational iniquity, and building up a wall to block a fortress, a walls, building the walls of Nehemiah's temple, if you will, to make it sure and safe that the woman can flee into the wilderness and not be corrupted as Mystery Babylon burns. Because I don't know, I won't go into that because otherwise they'd take this video down if I would say what I was about to say. Because I've got to remember where I am. Ooh. Genetic code consists of words and these words are commands. These words are written in our DNA and they have the power to command, to instruct and bring forth life according to the very specifications of the DNA in a living cell. So eternal life is written into the genetic code of the seed container, but Yahusha can only fertilize it. Could have just said that last sentence and I think I would have made it a lot more simple. But I had to work through it to get to there, so there. Those are my thoughts and I hope I gave some scripture so it wasn't me just babbling on, because that wouldn't be cool, would it? No. But there really is a great time to be alive and to be gathered into the tribes of Israel. And what Libby was teaching this morning, there's a match, is there not, with what I was teaching right now. See? That's what it should be like. Because what she is teaching is totally in line with what I'm teaching, because it is full encompassing. You can't just do the natural and not the spiritual. And you can't do the spiritual and not the natural. It works together. If you grew up in Louisiana on catfish and crawdads, then you've got to make a natural change as well. Right? See? Thoughts I'm having. We'll finish up more tomorrow, and you're teaching in the morning as well. Is that correct? No. Brenda. Brenda, you're tomorrow. Brenda, so we'll be back live stream tomorrow morning at 10.30 and 11 o'clock. 
Pacific Standard Time and tomorrow afternoon about 3.45 the same time. So Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, blessings to all of you. I hope I'm still live. It looks like I am. Maybe. Yes. Good. Good. All right. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. And it is still Sukkot here in Oregon and everywhere else in the world. If you're gathering under the Sukkot tonight, have a blessed time and shalom, shalom. Yeah.